Welcome back to Executive Corner, a generis produced podcast where we discuss real business and leadership challenges with industry trailblazers and offer valuable and actionable insights that you can start implementing across your organization. I'm your host, Luke West, bringing you tomorrow's information today. At Generis, we're connecting industry leaders through virtual events, in-person summits, and exceptional content. Our first events of the year are the Virtual American Biomanufacturing Summit, the Virtual American Supply Chain Summit, and the Virtual American CIO and IT Summit. If you'd like to learn more about our summits, these are linked in the description below, or you can head over to generisgp.com backslash events. Chantal Butler is Molson Coors Canada's current Chief Financial Officer. She has also recently been named Chair of the Board of Directors of the Beer Store. She's the very first woman to occupy this position since the Retails Foundation in 1927, signaling a more diverse and inclusive approach to their operations. With more than 20 years in the consumer packaged goods and food production industry as a finance executive, Chantel forged her way up through mostly male-dominated businesses, never hindered nor limited by notions of positions a female typically occupies, and she thrives in an environment that aspires to reinvent itself. Beverages remain one of the most innovative sectors, and Chantel held an important role through the transition of Molson Coors, Canada's second oldest company, from a brewery to a beverage company. Now, with her newly added scope as chair of the board of directors of the beer store, she and her 15-member board are entrusted to understand and act upon consumer demand from product innovation through to shopper experience. Her commitment to reinforcing environmental stewardship and social responsibility, coupled with her financial vision, will also drive renewed priorities for the retailer. I really enjoyed this episode, and let's get into it now. Hello, listeners. Today, I am with Chantel Butler. Chantel, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Luke, for having me. We're going to talk about what we always talk about when we start off this podcast is I'm really curious if there's a part of your routine, whether it's the morning, night, whatever it is, that you feel sets you up for your success or has set you up for success in your career. I think for me, routine management is super important. I would say earlier on in my career, I was very disciplined in my routine management and how I approached just setting objectives, setting very clear action plans, making sure I executed on them and just continuously reviewing progress against those action plans and course correcting as needed. Uh, I found that helped me in success earlier on in my career, but as I've moved into more bigger and broader leadership roles, it's actually the connection with people that I think is a more key to success. And so I do have regular weekly meetings with my team as well as one-on-one, and I find that really helps build the camaraderie within the team, build the trust, and it's it's always interesting to see how much people can support each other in things that they didn't realize they could help each other with, and also helps me stay ahead of the issues that are coming and, and be able to help support the team when needed or be able to see things before the issues fester too much. Yeah. Do you, do you have any routines in your personal life, whether it's going for a walk every day or making sure that you have a cup of coffee with two espresso shots, like any, any routine like that? Uh, for me, I would say exercise is a big part of my routine, whether it be running, taking the dog for a walk, doing some yoga. It doesn't need to be long, but just taking that break and taking sort of the, the mental time to regenerate the other muscles in my body is always uh, important. And I'm sure that a lot of leaders that listen to this show are active readers. I'm an avid reader myself. Is there a book that you feel has most impacted you throughout your journey or one that you try to get other members of your team to read when you when you become part of a team or, or take over a leadership position? 
Yeah, I think it's a classic, but the one that's probably influenced me the most is Good to Great by Jim Collins. Um, I read it very early on in my career and it's interesting. There's a ton of great concepts in there, but there's two concepts that really have resonated with me throughout any role I've had really throughout my career. The first being the disciplined approach to people management. So the importance of putting people first and then using that team to build the strategy as opposed to building the strategy and finding the people to execute on the strategy. It's also really important, not necessarily as easy, but really important to make people changes when you do see issues that you act quickly and address them and don't let them fester on too long. Obviously easier said than done, but really the power of having the right people on your team will allow you to be more nimble to overcome really any obstacles that are thrown your way rather than uh, just you know, setting yourself on one course and, and maybe being more diversified in the, in the skill sets, of the team that you have around you. The second concept that has always resonated with me from that book is the concept of the flywheel. So thinking about, you know, you have this big heavy disc with an axle and, and it's really difficult to get it to move. But the power of having everyone pushing in the same direction, and at first it's really hard to get it moving. But once you start to get it moving and you push a little more, it starts to go a little faster. And the more you push, the more momentum you get, the faster the flywheel starts to move. And it, it gets to a point where it's moving so fast, it's actually easier to push and actually becomes difficult to stop. And so I, I just, it's a powerful concept and, and an easy one to visualize that I think you can take in sort of any challenge or, or issue that you're trying to inspire a team to, to rally behind, that everyone can see that all the little efforts that they're putting in is really towards the bigger the bigger good and, and to drive the momentum of that flywheel. I've been hearing the concept of the flywheel almost every week for like the last four weeks, well, never hearing it too much before that, or at least not that I can remember. And I remember reading Good to Great. Is that the same book that he talks a lot about the the hubris of and how hubris can be really detrimental to companies? Or is that a previous book that he might have mentioned that? I don't remember that specifically, but he does talk about just embracing what you're really good at and making sure that you galvanize everybody behind that and, and really using that to not become complacent because just because you're good at it, it doesn't mean you can't become better. That is a fantastic book. And, and we've been through a lot of those challenges and we're going to get into that in a bit in terms of leading through the pandemic. But I'm really curious how you got started in the brewery industry, how you started on this momentum that you're on that has carried you to CFO of Molson Coors Canada. Yeah. Early on in my career, I grew up in London and after having gone to university, I went back to London and I was an audit manager working for one of the big four firms. And it just came to my attention that Labatt was looking for somebody to work in London. They needed somebody bilingual to work in their shared service center because they were looking to bring into the Quebec business into their shared services, which was otherwise national. I am bilingual, so the opportunity intrigued me, although I wasn't quite expecting a change in career at that time. But it was a really pivotal point in my career because I knew if I left the firm to go and take this industry role, it would sort of be the end of any hopes I may have had to become a partner in an audit firm. I actually really loved auditing, which might sound odd, but I did really enjoy it. So it was a big decision for me. And then, you know, the alternative was going into an industry finance role where I wasn't exactly sure what that would lead me to in my career path. Uh, obviously, ultimately, I chose to go into the brewing industry role. And really, the key drivers of that decision was 
my passion around the products and the fact that I could resonate with the products and the consumers and relate to them. But also it was intriguing to me to have a role where the decisions I made impacted the company, the customers and the consumers. And it was a role that I found gave me transferable skills and an opportunity to be in a global company, which proved to to do me well after about 10 years in the brewing industry. I did move and spent another 10 years in the bakery industry where I was able to get a lot more operational finance type of experience and actually even spent two years as group controller uh, for the largest public company in Canada. So really my ability to get operational finance experience, corporate finance experience, and my beer industry experience set me up well to become the CFO of Molson Coors Canada, which is the oldest brewing company in Canada. But it was actually Molson's ambition for innovation and transformation coupled with my passion for the industry that intrigued me and really drove me back into the industry to become the CFO of Molson Coors Canada. And and going off of that innovation and that excitement for innovation, that leads directly to the next question, which is within CPG and beverage companies and breweries, there's so much innovation going on, whether it's non-alcoholic beverages in Canada. I know there's potential for CBD infused products as well. What excites you the most about all of this innovation and change? Exactly. That is what excites me. So, I mean, the beer industry itself is as old as time, but it is really fascinating how much the industry still evolves, even within beer, both from a product perspective, taste, flavor profile, and even down to changes in the way that we market the products and connect with consumers. Consumer preferences and behaviors continue to evolve. They're looking for more variety. They're looking at growth spaces in terms of uh, better for you, lower carb, lower calorie, lower alcohol, lower sugar, organic products. So these are all trends that provide really exciting opportunities within the beer industry. Things like flavor extensions within beer. We've recently launched Coors Organic, Molson Ultra. So those are all new products that we're able to innovate to try to provide consumers with choices that meet these consumer trends. And and as you mentioned, it's really even more exciting to be able to expand and and start to expand our our repertoire beyond beer into adjacent categories. So things like seltzers, non-alcoholic beer, energy drinks, flavored water. Really, it's, it's just so exciting to have so many opportunities and the potential is endless. And you've recently been assigned as the chair of the beer store. I'm really interested because that is more of a, a retail company and, and how they serve the consumer. How has that helped you in your role as CFO? You kind of talked about earlier the importance of having financial experience in different industries. What is it like to have experience in different operation facets of the same company or of the same industry now with having that retail experience that the beer store provides you? Yeah, definitely. I was on the board prior to being appointed as chair. Uh, So both my role as a, a board member as well as the chair of the beer store has really enlightened me and caused me to think differently about the retail landscape itself. And it's given me a lot more insights in terms of how the consumers actually shop the category. At TBS, we sort of group the consumers into two different categories. There's the consumer that's looking for assortment, variety in brands and packaging. And then there's the consumer that's really your regular consumer. They're looking for the large packs, higher velocity, uh, higher volume type of consumer. 
And so it's really uh, interesting to be on the TBS side and focusing on that retail environment and how do you create an environment that's appealing and efficient for both of those types of consumers. When I translate those insights and that learning into my job at Molson, it just allows me to add another layer to how I'm thinking about products and, and how we're making decisions and thinking beyond just the maybe the packaging and the flavor profile of the beer, but how it shows up in stores to consumers, and then also thinking about what are the differences or the ways that we can influence or impact the consumer at the point of time that they're making that purchase decision. And sometimes those purchase decisions are made in the store and sometimes they're actually made before they even get into the store. And just understanding how consumers make decisions has really helped me just put a different lens on how I'm making decisions at Molson Coors. And as you mentioned, in terms of making decisions before we even go in the store, I've been a sports fan my entire life. So every ad, it seems, or a lot of them have been focused on that brand loyalty to different beers. What are you seeing now within even beyond the sports landscape of those consumer trends and adapting to them because packaging seems to have a bigger importance. The sport market in terms of non-alcoholic beverages is growing. Kind of just fill me in on, on how you're deciding to make the, the investments in those decisions. Yeah, it's interesting. The loyalty is just declining in beer. 48% of North American drinkers are looking for new beverages other than beer. And it's not that they're moving out of the category, but they're looking for new drinks to add to their repertoire. So they're drinking beer end. And so that's really caused us to think a little differently. Beer is obviously still a very large category and core to our business. So we certainly can't get complacent and, and ignore it. So we're continuing to find new ways to innovate within the beer category, but it's really pushing us to new boundaries to explore adjacent categories such as seltzers, non-alc beer, energy drinks. And what's important is that we are fast and nimble enough to be able to get ahead of those consumer trends so that as the the consumer taste profiles and, and behaviors are changing, we're there as they're looking to reach out for new products. With all of this change and demand for reinvention, what are some of the challenges that you find as a leader through this with, uh, you know, a lot of humans change, we all admit that change is part of our everyday lives and adapting is really important. But when it actually comes to adapting, it can be really hard. So how are, how are you as a leader guiding both your, the company and the team through that? Yeah, I think it's important as a leader that we embrace new ideas and not be afraid of kind of throwing a number of ideas out there and sort of evaluating what sticks and what doesn't. Not everything's going to work and that's okay. And to be honest, you should almost be expecting that because if you don't have things that are needing some tweaks or, or maybe not working as, as you expected, then maybe you're not pushing the envelope far enough. But it's also about making sure that you acknowledge when something is maybe not going as planned and you course correct or not be afraid to actually kill an idea. So I think a good leader really fosters an environment where it's okay to fail forward. In fact, it's somewhat expected as long as you're learning from it and taking those learnings to make your next idea even better. I think a good leader is also someone who recognizes the strengths and weaknesses on their team. And just back to the, the reference from, from the Good to Great book from Jim Collins, making sure that you have the right skill set on your team to get you through some of those challenges. Somebody once told me, and, and it's always resonated with me, that the best leaders are not the ones with the best ideas, 
but they're the ones that foster the environment where the best ideas can rise to the top. And so I think it's really important that you create that environment for people that they can contribute, they can be, you know, coming up with ideas and, and we can talk through them and, and, and we'll make sure that those ideas come to the top and become the best ideas that they can be. That reminds me a lot of a section of Quiet by Susan Cain, a fantastic book about leading introverts. And it's basically that same idea too, is creating and fostering that environment of allowing everyone to speak up and share those ideas. And it doesn't have to be about everyone winning with good ideas, but allowing all the good ideas to, to be voiced, voiced and vocalized. So with the pandemic, there's been a lot of challenges, but a lot of opportunities to it. And now we're seeing a lot of momentum come from a lot of companies. I'm curious, how has Molson really driven innovation or responded internally to a lot of these, these opportunities? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously everybody's been impacted in one way or another from the pandemic. So I don't think we're any different, but it has caused us to think differently about all aspects of our packaging, our marketing, even, you know, things like social accountability, although not necessarily pandemic related, but, you know, different things that have happened over the past year that have caused us to just rethink how we are approaching all aspects of our business. There's a Nielsen survey that was done. And the number one thing that people miss the most in the pandemic is just the simple meal with others. It's not the sports events, it's not the concerts, it's not the big things that you would think. Yeah, sure, we're all missing those things, but really the number one thing is just the simple pleasure of having a meal with a friend. We're fortunate enough that we're in an industry that invites and encourages bringing people together. Uh, so both during and post-pandemic, we need to be leaders and we need to be creative in adapting our own business as well as helping our customers adapt as the mechanisms of these social interactions evolve. You know, I think the businesses that are going to be successful through this pandemic are the ones that can gain consumers' trust in the end. Trust that we've provided a safe environment, we've provided safe products, but also allowed them to still continue to be able to enjoy those simple pleasures. Yeah, and, and it seems like a lot of people that are, are my age, just kind of graduating university, are demanding it seems to be a lot more of those consumer trends of the businesses that we work with but i think a lot of the times it's a really weird this fascination that a lot of people put on on the packaging to in order to buy it and just seeing that transition and knowing that there's companies out there responding to those trends is is really satisfying so does that excite you a lot about the work that you're doing too is seeing the generation be more passionate about these things or or is that an, an, a challenge that you feel you're still working through every day? I think personally it excites me, but as a, as a company, you know, there's always the complexities that come with it. And so I think it's great that social accountability is being elevated. And I think, you know, we can see that in many different ways. We can see that in, you know, being more environmentally responsible, and we can also see it in being more uh, responsible from a diversity and inclusion perspective. And I think those are both very important aspects to us as a society and things that as a company we are completely embracing. 
they're not easy things to get over, but certainly challenges that we are up for and challenges that we have been embracing for some time and continue to evolve for, for the right reasons. I think, you know, the social accountability on those aspects is important. And and so definitely things that excite me as a business that we can help contribute to society in those ways. Mm-hmm. And and touching on that diversity and inclusion, you are the first woman to be chair of the beer store TBS. And I'm really curious how that transcends throughout your day-to-day life. If you ever thought this was going to be you as a young woman, kind of tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I definitely would uh, have never imagined being in this position if you had asked me this early on in my career. But to be honest, I've never let being a woman hold me back. I've just never had that mentality of it being a barrier for me. I've always sort of carried on presuming there are no barriers until a barrier is put up. And when I see a barrier, I figure out how to how to get over it. When I first started in the brewing industry, my dad said to me, you're going to be CFO one day. And I thought, He has no idea what he's talking about. And I sort of shrugged it off. But he did plant a seed in me. And although at the time I had zero confidence that I would ever become a CFO, he did plant a seed that I could do something more than what I was doing today. I I could be better. There's no way I could be that, but I I could be better. And so I've always carried that on with me and, and tried not to look too far ahead in my career, but I've always looked one or two steps ahead. And, and used that to fuel me in terms of development. And there's been many barriers along the way. And in hindsight, I'm probably a little naive. I'm sure some of those barriers were probably gender barriers, but I just never thought of them that way. I just thought of them as obstacles that I needed to get over or go around to get to my next objective. And, and failure wasn't an option for me. I, I let those obstacles fuel me to work harder to overcome them. Maybe I had to work harder than a male would have had to work. I don't know, but it just did. I, I, I never let that stop me. And so as we're obviously going into International Women's Day, I'm not suggesting that women should ignore gender biases. And certainly we're in different times today than as when I was, you know, earlier on in my career. But I would just encourage women to be empowered to succeed in anything that's worth the time and effort that they're willing to put into it. And that's beautiful. Do you do you think that mentality, that approach has made you a better leader today than you might have been? Absolutely. I don't get too hierarchical about my role and I'm a team player and I I really truly believe that I'm better with others and working together than I am on my own. And so I think that really has fostered my leadership style. Awesome. And even as a as a young man in my career, sometimes I feel this idea of imposter syndrome. Have you ever felt that? And if so, how did you get through that imposter syndrome? I feel like this is something that everyone goes through, but I'm really curious if you could share some tangible ways that you powered through it. Yeah, I do wonder if to some degree everyone goes through it. I don't know. I certainly did. But I, I think in both my personal and my professional life, I went through it. From a personal perspective, I've always had self-doubt as a mother. My husband, I'm lucky, was very involved or is very involved in helping raise our children and looking after responsibilities around the house. But I could never help compare myself to other mothers who probably spent more time picking up their children at school or being home for dinner. But for me, my job is an important part 
of who I am. And I need to remind myself sort of that notion of being on the airplane and you got to put your air mask on first before you can help others. And so I really need to remind myself that my career is an important part of my, who I am and I'm not happy if I'm not feeling good in my career and it really does help my self morale as well. And so it's a big part of being a good role model for my children as well. So my kids and my family are most important, but career is also a big part of who I am. And so I struggle sometimes, but it's really about finding the right balance for me between my family and my career for me to be at my best for both. In terms of professional imposter syndrome, definitely had that experience probably a little more earlier on in my career, had self-doubt. And I think it the feel of failure actually, you know, fueled me to just work harder and always try to make sure that I was doing more and, and doing better. The response to that was I would often ask for feedback from my managers. I was always looking for guidance, making sure that I was clear on expectations. And although that was kind of driven out of the field of failure, it actually turned into a strength for me because it meant that I was more open to the feedback and I would respond more quickly to the feedback than maybe some others did. And it ultimately, it eventually led to, to further growth and, and development on my side. So although those feelings came with probably anxiety and self-doubt and those feelings are never really gone, it's really about self-awareness. And so as I've sort of matured in my career and gone through those feelings many times, just being aware of when those feelings are happening and constantly reminding myself, okay, this is, this is that time, you know, you've been here before, you've gotten through it before and you'll get through it this time. And just constantly that little voice in my head saying, you've got this is really what helps fuel me uh, through it as I've gone through my career. That self-awareness piece is really important for anyone. And it definitely comes with experience and just a lot of self-reflection. It's, it's, a, it's a never-ending process, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and knowing it's okay. You're not alone in it, right? Yeah. And, and, and you alluded to the fact too that you know, as your role as a mother, you feel it's really important to demonstrate that that work ethic and and satisfying yourself first, which I think is a really important part that isn't talked about enough and something that just flies under the table when it comes to being a mother. And and I think that is really important to, to demonstrate and lead by example in, in the home too, just as much as it is in the workplace. So the last question I want to ask you is, what do you believe in your role throughout your entire career has been the most beneficial leadership quality that you've been able to, to use and leverage and you think contributes to your success? That's a pretty easy question for me because it's the feedback I get in, in my feedback from my managers as well as the 360s that I do. And, and I would say my the leadership quality that defines me is accountability. Uh, it really is what drives my work ethic and really the fundamentals of how I lead my team. I take accountability for my team and everything that my team is doing. When they have success, I celebrate their successes. But when we have a failure as a team, that's on me. That's on me to make sure that we identify it, take accountability for it, and address it. Their challenges are my challenges, and I don't hesitate to roll up my sleeves and do what I need to do to help them get through those challenges. So I think it's really important that I take accountability for making sure that the sum of the parts on my team are greater than the individuals themselves. And really, the key to this is leading by example. You know, I hold myself 
to higher account than, than any others. But I'm also consistent in how I hold others accountable as well. So it really creates the culture of accountability. And it's, it's interesting to see that the more people see consistency and, and the culture, it starts to permeate throughout. And so the others start to hold themselves more accountable and they start to hold each other more accountable. And really it starts to fuel better results and productivity and, and actually fuels better engagement because everybody feels like everybody's contributing. Well, Chantel, thank you so much for joining me today on Executive Corner. It's been a pleasure talking with you and love the experience and wisdom that you shared with our audience today. Thank you, Luke, for having me. Have a great day. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. It only takes 30 to 60 seconds. We have some great leaders coming up in the next few months that you won't want to miss. As a reminder, at Generis, we're connecting industry leaders through virtual events, in-person summits, and exceptional content. Our first events of the year are the Virtual American Buy Manufacturing Summit, the Virtual American Supply Chain Summit, and the Virtual American CIO and IT Summit. If you'd like to learn more about our summits, they're linked in the description below, or you can head to generisgp.com backslash events. For all of our updates, you can also follow us on LinkedIn at Generis, which I've linked below as well. Talk to you all again soon.